DiscerningHearts.com presents The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. Father Wick is the Jesuit priest of the central and southern province of the United States. He currently acts as a retreat master at the White House Jesuit Retreat Center in St. Louis, Missouri. He also serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Well, Father, it's kind of incredible to me when you think about it with St. Ignatius that he had this incredible degree of humility that he had to, can we say, work on. Not so much that it was something that he said, okay, I have to do this much in humiliation so I can be humble. No, it was more of a response to serve others, which took the focus off himself. And in doing that, it actually allowed him to grow even closer and deeper to the Lord. There's a paradigm there, isn't it? Excellent. That was a great insight. Indeed, he's learning from this self-orientation towards sanctity, comparing himself to Francis and Dominic, wanting to imitate for his own right their lives, to being other-focused, to being to sharing these graces, realizing as I'm more open to the Lord, I can share these graces and help others to find themselves. He becomes much more service-oriented. It was so good for him to work in the hospital. It was so good for him to meet people around Manresa and begin to share the fruits of of his prayer. It's an experience the conversion is happening here on a whole other level where the more he becomes other-centered, the more he begins to find himself. So we're dealing with a rather self-centered man. I think all of us struggle with that to some degree. But the conversion is very much about being God-centered and loving the things of God and the persons of God. So that's exactly right. He becomes centered on sharing these graces, on helping other people to flourish and thrive, and thereby he finds himself. It's incredible when you think about it, thinking of the life of St. Catherine of Siena, for example, who even in her extraordinary childhood, which we would learn more about after her death, actually, because of the writings of Blessed Raymond of Capua, her spiritual director, and who would later become the master general of the Dominicans, But in Catherine, she would have that time of prayer, contemplation, solitude in that room under the staircase in her home, because she was, what, the one of 22, 23, so she needed to find a place where she could have that quiet. But even after that great awareness, this great experience of, as you said, this cataract of graces, where does that lead her? It leads her out into the street. It leads her into rooms with sick beds of people that are so sick that others can't even go in because it's too difficult to be in their presence because of their the manifestations of their illnesses. And it's not even so much because they were told they have to do it, but because they were seeking Christ in a way. It moves beyond the command to the desire to serve. That's a real hallmark, isn't it? Yes. So when we fall in love with the Lord, when we encounter the Lord, when we deepen that relationship, we begin to love as God loves and to share his love and his desire that all men come to salvation and the knowledge of the truth, as we read in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God has this profound desire for the salvation of all human beings, and we begin to share his desires. We begin to think like God. We begin to feel like God. 
And so these profound desires God has to draw all men and women into himself, the saints live that. They're living that experience. They have this thirst to draw others to God. So that's the that's a hallmark of any gift given for the individual is meant for the sake of the church. It's meant to be applied in the church and to draw us all into our wholeness, our finding ourselves in the Lord. This is all a preparation for the, the next life, but we have to begin it now, being drawn into Christ evermore. So yes, absolutely. That's the hallmark of a true vocation is that it becomes radically other-centered. The particular graces that he was receiving, the journal that he would start to write in that would become the fruitfulness of the spiritual exercises, as you said, it came from his encounters with others and him sharing not so much where he went out and said, here, I have these great insights. Am I correct in understanding? It was more that people were drawn to him. So he began to share when he listened, that deep listening. And so the graces had the fruitfulness by the, its fruits were feeding others. Yes. And that's an important paradigm, isn't it? Sometimes we, we receive things in prayer and we feel like we, we must go out and share it. But there is a holy prudence that can take place and said, it's good that you have received this. It's good that it's overflowing in your heart. Allow me to bring the people to you that need to share the same fruit. Does that make sense? Yes, that's right. We don't turn our graces that we receive in prayer into a project. Like everything, I've got to figure out now how to apply the gift I received in my morning prayer today. I need to decide who am I going to share this with? Am I going to add this to my homily? Am I going to? That that would be a self-orient, that would be a self-designed project. But instead, let the Lord bring to you whom he will and then speak with them. So back to my patron saint, Saint Anthony of Egypt, he went out into the desert, but with a true, pure hermit desire. In other words, any true hermit doesn't go out into the desert to perfect himself or to become holy with God. It's for the sake of the church. It's to do battle. It's to do battle with Satan. And so the Lord began drawing all these people from the towns into the desert, not unlike the Samaritan woman who uses her gifts to draw people out of the town into the desert to encounter Jesus. And so that has to be an inspiration, though. That comes from inspiration of whom the Lord places in my path that I feel called to share that with. So it it does require a certain disponibility or openness, availability to hear the Lord asking me to share something with someone. But it's an inspired, it's not a personal project of, of sharing as to as many people as I possibly can or something. That would be a human calculation. But there's a there's an inspiration. Some graces were meant to just hold and cherish and wait to share when the Lord wishes us to share them. But let him take the initiative there and not develop a project for receiving a grace from God and then sharing that in what we presume, would be the way God would wish it. My gosh, I'm hearing Mary and Martha in a way where Mary, the sister of Lazarus, of course, and Bethany, who would, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and I'm going to receive this until it's time to get up, where Martha feels this is such a special gift, but I got to move, move, move. And the Lord is not admonishing her as much as just trying to help redirect her. Yeah, that's right. Reed Therese of Lisieux has a wonderful commentary on that. She says, it's not Martha's actions that the Lord reproves her for because his mother, Mary, was always performing these tasks. 
but it's the restless anxiety of his ardent hostess that he wishes to correct. So it's the spirit with which she does these tasks. She has this anxiety of needing to do, do, do. She has a project that she feels like she needs to be faithful to, and she's not doing it in contemplative spirit. She does become St. Martha, by the way, so <laughs> it's good to pray to her because she learns how to integrate that Marian receptivity within her work. So she's still going to perform those same tasks, but now in a Marian way. She's still going to be Martha, but now with a Marian spirit. And that's the invitation for you and me too, to perform the same tasks, but with a different spirit behind it, not this restless anxiety. Oh, I have such a number of things to do on my calendar today, and I hope I get them all done. And some of them are very spiritual, but I, I have this anxiety. I have this this nervousness. I have this concern that will I get them all done? Will I do them well? And the Lord will reprove us for that and invite us into a more Marian attitude. Let me do these with you. Let's do these together. I had a Jesuit spiritual director once in Mobile, and he would start every day off by asking the Lord when he would wake up in his bed, Jesus, what are we going to do today? It was a we instead of I. What are my? What are the promises that I've made today? What do I need to do today? What do I need to be faithful to? It was always a we. Huh? What are we going to do today? We'll return to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises with Father Anthony Wick in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. So does Ignatius make it to the Holy Land? He does indeed. He makes it to the Holy Land, and he's content there, loves it, prays there, sees the various sights, so happy to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. There's a real humility to, to Ignatius that he taps into quickly. And the Franciscans, who back then go, so see the Franciscans have another 300 years of history on the Jesuits, they are in charge of the sites of the Holy Land. And when St. Ignatius wants to just 
be a itinerant pilgrim and just to beg, be a mendicant uh, there in the Holy Land, they are not so keen on that idea. They have some worries about him maybe being captured, uh, maybe by him they're needing to provide ransom for him if he's captured by the Saracens. And so he says, but I think I'm supposed to stay. So the, the Franciscans ask him to leave. They're like, we don't, we're not keen on you staying here, just being an itinerant. Maybe you would be captured. We'd have to ransom you. He says, well, I think in my prayer that I'm supposed to stay though. And they're like, no, you need to leave. We're going to use our authority to make you leave. And they pull out this papal bull, which gave them the authority to excommunicate someone who wouldn't follow their lead in the Holy Land. So they pull out this papal bull and says, if you don't leave, we're going to excommunicate you from the church. And this throws Ignatius on his heels, like, oh, well, if in that case. <laughs> and so he has to leave and he goes back to Europe. What's critical here is that even that personal cares and that sense of where God was leading him has to be subject to the church. In this case, there were some tough Franciscans and that wanted him to leave and so that they wouldn't have any risk of having him there as a pilgrim. But God speaks through that. And so we don't need to justify the Franciscans on that. And by the way, we Jesuits don't hold any grudges towards the Franciscans for that. It was all part of God's plan. <laughs> and so he comes back to Europe and God's working something here very clearly and begins to discern in a very Ignatian way, how can I best serve you, Lord? I'm falling in love with you. I want to, what's the majis here? What's the better way that I can love and serve you? And he discerns in his spirit clearly that it's to become a religious, to begin to follow the life of a religious. He takes tonsure, he begins to study, begins to learn Latin. He realizes this will also lead me towards the priesthood. And he ends up in Paris where he meets Xavier, Peter Faber, and many others and some of the first Jesuit companions. Wow. It is remarkable the timing on all of this, because when we look at what's happening in the church and the division and the need to once again dive deeper into the spiritual life, giving all of the political anxieties and, again, the rupture that would happen with the Protestant Reformation, it kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think this is a critical way of really focusing on how can I give myself to the church to trust that God speaks to her. He calls the church our hierarchical mother. The church is our hierarchical mother. So the hierarchy is, and the gift of organization is actually one of the charisms of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is not some free-floating person in God who leads me into a freedom where I don't have any institution around me, I don't have any structure around me. The Holy Spirit will, will lead me to a deeper obedience to hear how he speaks through this institution. So the same spirit that animated Christ, the Holy Spirit, is the same spirit that guides his church and promises, Jesus promises, will be with the church. So in terms of faith and morals and this strong lead that she provides, God speaks through her. Yes, it's composed of fragile people and sinful people and whatnot, so, but they're people in purification. They're people on a journey. So St. Ignatius has this sense early on that, that the church is the locus of God's salvation. God draws us into the church to continually reform and purify us all. It is notable, isn't it, that once the order becomes more and more established and it grows, that they become known for passing on that legacy of that journal that was written 
long ago with the help of the Lord and His great grace and the Blessed Virgin in a cave, that this would help many others. I'm thinking immediately of St. Teresa of Avila, who really benefited from having Jesuit spiritual directors, those kind of confidence that would help her to be able to fashion and understand her own charism. Yes, that's right. Many different orders. Uh, St. Francis de Sales founded five different religious branches based on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. So they're not unique to the Jesuits. They're not our property. This charism is diffused in many different ways, but many different orders as Sisters of St. Joseph, Sisters of Loretto, that Mother Teresa was part of before she began her own order, were also um, rooted in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. So they're a gift to the church. They're a gift to the church to help us reorder our lives, to help us find the Lord's will in our life. For St. Ignatius, God is a choosing God. God, he was very enamored. I spoke about the different charisms, but he was very enamored by this God who kept choosing men and women to follow him, to enter into his company, to be conformed to him. So when you read the spiritual exercises and ponder the various meditations therein that St. Ignatius composes, you'll notice how this is a very active Jesus. It's not so much the preaching Jesus, which would be more appealing to a Dominican charism, the preaching Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. It's an active Jesus who goes out and finds people, who, who moves, who performs these miracles, who's drawing everyone towards this Jerusalem experience of self-gift and sacrifice. This is a gift given to the whole church, though. I'm so glad you said that, because I think for many people in today's world, the practices of the discernment of spirits as propagated by, of course, Father Timothy Gallagher and others, some may see that as the spiritual exercises. They may not even be aware of the greater picture, which leads then eventually to that discernment of spirits, that there is this wonderful encounter with a living word, capital W, the living word of God, Christ, and his guidance as his big mission was to lead us to the Father. Yes, indeed, the encounter with Jesus leads us. That's the key of any good discernment of spirits. So as I have this encounter with the Lord, it becomes the criterion by which I can discern which spirits are motivating me, which spirits are moving me. We're called to this wonderful self-gift, and I first need to discern which spirits are motivating me towards a lesser in my service of God and which ones towards a greater. But it all it all revolves around the encounter with Christ. St. Ignatius is, is misunderstood, and the early Jesuits are misunderstood by some, as we were formed to be the greatest force of the Counter-Reformation, to respond to the Reformation and what was going on with Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others, and all of Europe, much of Europe, becoming Protestant. And the answer is, no, that's not actually true. We were formed to help reform Catholics. In other words, St. Ignatius saw that within the church, there's so much need of reform. So his focus really there was on conversion within Catholics, that we became the greatest force of the Counter-Reformation, indeed true is a fruit of that focus on the heart of Jesus, focus on the heart of Jesus. So anything, this is something I learned from my spiritual director and first formator there in Rome, Father Jacques Servet, anything in the church that bases itself on a reaction is bound to be unhealthy. I would add that anything, in, even interiorly, that's reactionary in me is bound to be unhealthy. In other words, if I am anti this, I'm anti this movement, I'm anti liturgical abuse, that's kind of going to be my crusade 
as a priest, I'm, I'm against this. I want to reform this part of the church. It's so far as I'm anti anything, there's some disorder there. I need to be pro Jesus. I need to be focused on the heart of Jesus and drawing other people to his heart. So as I do that, yes, I will be doing battle with other things in the church and and other forces in the world that are hurting people and whatnot, um, gender ideology, for instance. But I have to do that from the perspective of falling more and more in love with Jesus, of being surrendered to Jesus, drawing others into that surrender too. So to be pro-Jesus, it's an important criterion by which to evaluate our own internal motivations. Like, what am I doing in the church and why am I doing it? Is, is some of it, or maybe the links that I send out or the things that I read, is some of it about the battle that I want to enter in here? Or is it really being drawn to the heart of Jesus and drawing others into that heart? That's a great criterion by which to understand good discernment. And it's important for us to remember, too, that he did have that background in chivalry. He had fought to protect, and that was a very much a part of his nature, as it were, in the beginning. But then it changed in paradigm. He didn't necessarily go to the negative, but then he brought out the best in those attributes. And that's what we're called to as well, isn't it? I'm not trying to sound so esoteric, and I hope I'm not, but does that make sense? You bet. Those same ideals that he had, the chivalric ideals and the the exploits that he wanted, he applies now in in a healthy spiritual way. So in other words, you and I, we have to exercise, Jesus says, a certain holy violence. A certain holy violence against what? Against the ways that the evil spirit tries to always get me to do the lesser or even something evil. To recognize that and to say no to that, to stand up to that evil spirit. Yeah, so there's a holy violence of being willing to prune and to prune the plant, if you will, of my spiritual life. So there's maybe too many things going on. Maybe I'm tempted to be overzealous and I have too many things going on in my life. And I'm, as Jesus says, I'm like an unpruned plant that's growing wild berries everywhere. (laughs) And I need to prune some of those good branches even so that the fewer branches that are there will actually become full ripe fruit that will become uh, ready for, in the image of the vine, that will become ripe for crushing, to become wine, and eventually the blood of Christ. But if I allow myself to be hyper-driven in so many different ways, saying yes to everything that comes along my way. I'll have wild berries everywhere, but there won't be any that will be able to be made into wine and eventually the blood of Christ. So there's a discernment, there's a holy violence that we have to practice. So there has to be some chivalric ideals in you and me also of being willing to say no to the way that I consume media, the way that I lent is a wonderful opportunity to enter into that spirit of saying no to those things that keep me from more intimate relationship with Jesus. It's a daily process, um, and the Lord wants to give us the strength to be able to say no so that our yes really means something. Well, Father Anthony, I'm looking forward to diving into the spiritual exercises in the sense that we can begin our own journey and to learn so much from the gift of Ignatius's sharing as it were. These are the experiences that he had. I'm thinking of the term catechesis. To be a catechist is to be a resounder, resounder. So as we receive things, we resound them out to others. And I'm hopeful that this will be one of those processes where we're able to help others come to a deeper understanding to kind of implement in their lives and then to pass it on like he did and and so many others who benefited from it. 
Yes, thank you for that, Chris. And on that note, all of us can benefit from learning more about St. Ignatius, and there'll be some applicable aspects for all of us. It doesn't mean one has to be of the charism of Ignatius and have had to be chosen by Ignatius to really understand or appreciate these things. There'll be many graces and gifts meant for all members of the church that hopefully we'll be able to flesh out some of these. But I, yeah, I invite the listeners to enjoy this experience, this this journey with St. Ignatius. What does he have to teach me? What does he, how can I learn a more healthy zeal for the Lord that really pleases him? How can I fall in love more with Jesus and then respond to that love? That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Father Anthony. You're welcome. My joy to be with you. You've been listening to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. This episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick.